You know, sermon's titled, or the, the series is titled, Satan Sucks. Gary calls me the other day and says, hey, I'm, I want you to preach. I'll be there. Don't suck. <laughs> Kylie comes back just a minute ago and says, we did our part. Don't suck. <laughs> Title of the sermon, in, or the series is what? Satan sucks. Am I the only one who sees a potential problem? I don't know if they're telling me something or I'm not sure, but it kind of messes with your psyche. Um, this is going to be one of those sermons that's really weird. I called Gary this week and I talked to him about it and, and I just told him, I said, man, it's going to be something different than I normally do, so I hope you guys are cool with that. And it may, I'll be honest with you, Gary says this sometimes. Have y'all ever noticed that Gary says today's not going to make any sense and that would be one of his best messages? Well, one of the six, but I mean... Give a preacher a microphone. Anyway, it, it, I don't mean it like this. It may not make sense. It may not be for anybody but me, but I would be willing to say that there's probably somebody who needs to hear what's going to be said today, and here's how I know that. Y'all ever had one of those weeks where your week sucked? Like, I had this all planned. I was supposed to be home Friday night, ready to go, get my kids for the weekend, have... It all went to crap. At 10.30 Friday night, I was in a truck stop somewhere in Louisiana, Louisiana. If you're from Louisiana, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Tell people you're from Arkansas. That sounds better, okay? I know, but just trust me. So I'm somewhere in Louisiana. It's 10.30 at night. I'm on top of a load, upside down, hanging on, trying to re-tarp a load that had some junk had fallen apart, and I was trying to fix it. I got off, and I said some things that I won't repeat because somebody's Facebook live in this, and they won't let her publish it either. But I, I got off the, the load, and I was at a point where I was like, man, God hates me. Y'all ever had days where you felt like God hated you? So it's not just me. We do real, right? I mean, it's not just me. I had this, this moment where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm angry. I'm upset. Nothing's going right. Then I get home last night about 5.30 or 6 and have Thanksgiving with my kids. And 3.40 this morning, I hear that, un, if you have a weak stomach, you're going to want to turn me off for a minute. I hear that unmistakable noise from my 7-year-old who's in bed with me. Y'all know that noise. And I thought, that's not what I heard. So I waited. And I heard... And I thought, that is what I heard. And I cannot walk on water, but I can walk across a bed in a hurry to get her to the bathroom. I'm talking like my feet never hit the bed. Okay? So I get back in bed after she finishes what she began. There's not a good way to talk about puke, is there? Anyway, some of y'all are like, I cannot believe he's starting like this. I can't either, but it is. So anyway, she's not here this morning. She's with, with my mom. But So it's just been one of those weeks, man. And, and I was at a point, you know, where I'm like, do I call Gary and, and tell him, like, Gary, dude, it's just not going to happen. I'm just, I got sick kids. I got this. I got this. I got this. It's just not going to happen. And then, and then, Something happened to me this morning that reminded me of why I'm here today. I got a message from a guy that heard me preach years ago, and he saw a Facebook post I made this week, um, and he said, hey, are you still a youth pastor or still preaching? And I was like, no, you know, man, life happened. I'm not. I'm, I still preach occasionally. In fact, I'm supposed to preach this morning. And, and he tells me about a message that I forgot that I had even preached and what God did in his life through that message. And I don't say that to, to, to build Grady up. I say that to say this. Man, Satan sucks, and he's done everything he could do this week to keep me from being here for one reason only. 
That's because something that God wants to say to somebody today is going to set somebody free or bring somebody out of a place where they've been. And God wants to liberate some people this morning. And God wants to see some people be healed from some jacked up thoughts this morning. And God wants to see you experience the fullness of the life that he created you to experience. But Satan sucks. Satan sucks. And Satan has one job, and his, his one job, Satan sucks because he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. Guys, yeah, give, give Xander a hand because he's got to try to follow me today. Okay, yeah, thank you. God bless him. Satan sucks because he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. And the, one of the ways that he does that, I saw it up here, is that Satan is a liar. Satan sucks because he lies. Now, y'all may know some people who lie, and you may be thinking right now, so does that mean, y'all with me? Well, here's what the scripture says. Jesus was talking to some of his, uh, to some of the Jews in John chapter 8, and when he was talking to some of the Jews, this is what he said. He said, you are of your father. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and the... Father of lies. He has lied from the beginning. How many of you have experienced destruction or turmoil or death in your life because you bought into some lies of the devil? If you're not raising your hand right now, read that verse. Man, you just call us out. I've learned that just calling us out and throwing it out there, you have to be blunt sometimes. Have y'all noticed that? I don't call Gary anymore for that reason. I want sympathy. Don't call Gary if you need sympathy. Call the police. You'll have more sympathy. Good night. I called Gary about to have a fifth the other day, and he just said, LOL. Thanks. Tear. He's the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. So let's look at this. Look in Genesis chapter 3. He's going to throw it on the board or on the screen. And, and we're going to read how, where we see the, the, the Satan come in and start lying. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. Wait, time out. I said that wrong. I forgot. I'm in North Georgia. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Pause. Did God not know where they were? He just wanted to see what man would say. Y'all ever been in a moment where God gave you a chance to do the right thing? How many of y'all have messed up before too? Come on now. Thank you. 
It's not just me. Good. I just like to know that I'm not the only one in the crowd. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Somebody from North Georgia. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? Then the man said, the woman you put here with me. Isn't that about right? Then the woman you put here with me, she gave me, I'm going to come back to this. Y'all just hold your horses, ladies. Hold your horses, ladies. Some of y'all right now about to throw apples or tomatoes or whatever. Then the man said, then the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me. How did he deceive her? He lied. He said, you will not surely die. But at the moment that they disobeyed God and sin entered into the world, immediately death entered into the world as well. Their life was destroyed. Adam had it all. Adam and Eve had it all in the Garden of Eden. All they had to do was walk around and enjoy one another in their nakedness. I'm just saying, let's be real for a minute. There's some good plastic surgeons out there, but nobody touches the master. Y'all feel me? It was a good, it was a good setup they had going. But the moment that they disobeyed God, destruction, death entered the world. And so we're going to look today. That all began because he was the father. Satan was the father of lies. And we're going to look today at just a few of the lies that I really think that, that Satan uses to impact us. And we're going to look at their corresponding biblical truths. So if we know that Satan attacks us by lying to us, then the question is, how do we overcome Satan sucking by lying to us? I mean, I, I'm an answer guy. I don't know if y'all like, I, I, I don't like to present questions and not answer. So I'm an, I like to know, okay, like, if this is the problem, how do we fix it? Anybody else? I mean, how many of y'all like wallowing in self-pity? Be real. No, okay. Some of you do, or you wouldn't still be where you are, but we'll get to that later. Ooh. Um, so here's the deal. How do we overcome it? Well, the answer is we overcome the lies of Satan by staying connected to the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he was talking to them about the battle that we're all in. And he says that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so in, in chapter 6, verse 14, he says this, Therefore stand, with the belt, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, now get this, we're going to stop right there. The, the belt of truth, the truth is what holds everything together. Like, I mean, I could come in here and not have my belt on, and that would be bad because I'd be constantly tugging my pants up, and, and it just wouldn't, I mean, but, but the belt is what holds it together, right? And so truth is what holds everything together. And, and, and another illustration that we have from the Bible that tells us how truth is what holds things together is if we look in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus was tempted by Satan when he was in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, he'd, been, he'd fasted for 40 days, he's in the wilderness, and Satan came to him on three different occasions, and he tempted Jesus. And every time he tempted Jesus, Jesus answered this, It is written. What was he going back to? He was going back to the sole source of truth that we can have, and that is the foundation of the Bible, the Word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then he's tempted again, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, it's also written. 
It's also written. In other words, listen, I don't care what you say or I don't care how I feel. I want y'all to get something this morning. We live in a day and time today where people act based on purely based upon their feelings. Feelings are fleeting. Truth is foundational. I had a conversation with somebody this week who said they didn't feel like getting up and going to work. Well, I don't feel like giving you money so you can be lazy. At the end of the day, my feeling, there are days I don't feel like getting up. If you've ever driven a truck or spent the night in a sleeper, let me just explain something. If you haven't, but you know somebody who has, there are days you get up in the middle of the night or, or the next morning to go to work and you're like, I did not remember my back hurting in that position ever before. I did not remember this space being that small when I went to bed last night. I don't feel like doing this. Monday morning, it was pouring down rain, it was cold, and I'm standing outside in the rain wearing a Carhartt jacket, two shirts, and a hoodie. When I got, when I got through chaining down Monday, my Carhartt had soaked all the way through, and both of my shirts and my hoodie, I'm talking about, I had had a shower with my clothes on. That don't feel right, y'all. You ever taken a shower with your socks on? It gets the job done, but it don't feel right. There's various applications to that in life. Jesus answered, it's also written, we can't base our life purely upon our feelings. In fact, and I didn't give Xander this, sorry Xander, but there's a passage in the scripture that says this, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? In other words, guys, our heart's going to lead us astray sometimes. Kind of like Taco Bell. It's never a good idea. Don't trust it. Jesus also said this. He was tempted a third time, and he says, Jesus said said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. Go back to the foundational truth. So how are we going to overcome the lies of the devil? we got to stay connected to the truth. And the way that we stay connected to the truth is we got to stay connected to the source of truth, who's Jesus. And since we can't physically touch Jesus, we have the written word that reveals to us Jesus. And so what we have to do if we're going to overcome the lies of the devil is stay connected to the written word that reveals to us the fleshly word of Jesus so that we can be successful successful as we go out and live this life because the second half of that John 10 that I put up earlier is that Jesus comes that we might have life and have it in abundance. We got to stay connected to the truth. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, and um, I know we start church early so we can beat the Baptist, but today we're probably going to beat the Methodist too. Um, So for the next few minutes, we always beat the Pentecostals. But for the next few minutes... I'm taking off all the denominations. We're going to look at some of the common lies of the devil, talk about them, and look at their corresponding truths. So here's some of the common lies. Number one, you are not enough. You ever felt like you're not enough? Ever felt like there's something missing in your life that makes you less than, or you're not, as, you're not where you ought to be? Can I tell you why the devil uses that lie and how he impacts us? Typically, he doesn't just come out and say, you're not enough. Typically, the way that he attacks us with this lie is more like this, by causing us to compare ourselves to other people. Or by us reacting to how other people treat us. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we're inadequate. And we feel... Do y'all see the same word I'm using over and over and over and over and over again? Feel. 
What did I say about feelings? They're fleeting and they're fickle. The devil will use the lie that you're not enough. The devil will use the lie by causing you to look at somebody else and see what somebody else has and see what somebody else's life is like. and see. I'm preaching to myself now, come on, and, and cause you to look and say, well, I went through this experience and it, and it hit me this way, so maybe my faith isn't enough or maybe I'm just not enough. I'm, I'm not enough to please God. And we forget the fundamental truth that we just talked about a minute ago. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Get this, that passage was written to the Israelites, God's chosen people, and they had rebelled and they had turned their back on him over and over and over and over and over and over. Y'all get the picture here? And over again, kind of like some of us. Amen. And God still says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Meaning this, before you screwed up, God loved you, knowing about your screw-ups in the future. He loved you then, even knowing you were going to screw up as many times as you've screwed up. And He still loved you. And He still called you. And John 10, 10 B says I, that I give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, I give you a future and hope. John 10, 10, give you life in abundance. That still applied to you even though you screwed up. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. So when you start questioning, am I enough? Go back to the truth of the scripture and understand this. That Jesus says, or that God says in the word, that you are enough because the God of the universe has loved you from eternity past and, eternity, and all the way through eternity future. And guess what? There's nothing you can do to change it. You can't change that. You want to overcome the lie that you're not enough? How about this? God says, I am because he loves me. It is written, God has loved me with an everlasting love. But you don't understand, Grady, what my life has consisted of. No, no, no. You don't understand. We, we live in... Our Western culture that celebrates the individuality of, an indivi of, of humans messes our world up because we think that we're special. We think that something about us makes us so much different than the other 7 billion people on the planet. Regardless of what's in your life, God still loves you with an everlasting love. Regardless of how many times you've turned your back, how many times you've screwed up, God still loves you with an everlasting love. Regardless of how many times you walk out on stage and suck after they tell you in the back not to suck, God still loves you. What's another lie? Anybody ever, I'm just going to, I just for my own, if I'm the only one who raises my hand to every one of these, that's fine. How many of y'all have ever struggled with this one? That you're not enough? That you're inadequate? Thanks. Well, here's another lie that, that I think that Satan uses uh, against us, that our past defines you. Now, I know I'm kind of stealing from last week because my understanding is that Gary talked about this last week. Is, is that correct? Okay, well, I'm going to steal a little bit. I know, but I was in bed. If I'd have been here, I'd have known that. You, have y'all ever noticed that a preacher's always going to preach whether he's on the stage or not? <laughs> There's always one who catches it a little bit late. Glad I didn't keep time, though. Your past defines you. I think there are times that we all struggle with this probably more than what we'd like to admit. 
especially probably more in this crowd than other crowds. And the, different, and the reason that we struggle with it here is because we're honest about it. There's a lot of places who struggle with their past. A lot of people who struggle with their past, they just don't tell everybody about their past. They're just not real about it. They just act like they don't have a past. I was asked one time when I interviewed for a church if I had any skeletons in my closet, and my answer was, doesn't everybody? That's the wrong answer to give. I found that out later. Who knew? I, they told me to be honest. But they didn't mean be honest. We all have a past. Check that. We all had a past. We all had a past. Because you see, there's a couple things. I, I struggled. When, when I went through my junk a little over a year ago, I struggled. I remember, I wrote, in fact, I read it this week. I wrote it in a journal. There's all these verses about the transition in someone's life before they follow Christ to after they follow Christ. But what about those of us who are followers of Christ and we screw up? Where's our hope in the future? Right? And we're going to get there in just a minute. But, you know, Satan likes to attack us with our past. He likes to call us by our sin. Man, I will tell you, this week, I thought, like, you know, I never ran my town like some people have run their town before. But when you, get, when you have the issues that I went through and it's put on YouTube and social media and shared several times and screenshot, you deal with some junk. So, you know, in my town of 9,000, which is pretty, I don't know, I mean, that's, it's 9,000, whatever. Anyway, I still get those looks, you know what I mean? Like people look at you, like, psh, 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 he's that guy, all right? I still get that. Yeah, whatever. But nobody ever says anything to me. This week, I got a phone call from somebody who I said, what, what have I done? Like, what, what have I, I'm, I'm sensing some animosity. What have I done? And this individual called me by my sin. Satan calls us by our sin. Jesus calls us by his name. Yeah. Satan calls us. Now, some of y'all are going to hear that, and they're going to think it's going to be on the Internet, and somebody's going to send it to this guy, and he's going to call me again, and he's going to threaten to stomp a hole in me. And I don't know if y'all have seen it. I'm 39 years old, and there ain't a scar on my face. My point is this. I spent a lot of life being scared of what people thought about me. You know what I've learned over the last year? I don't give a crap what people think about me. You know why? Because at the end of the day, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. You know what the, re the next passage it was up there says? That if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what the next one says? As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sin from us. Satan calls us by our sin. Jesus calls us child. When we start thinking that our past defines us and people around us, let me just tell you all something. I was a pastor who sinned. I get it. Satan used me. I allowed him to use me. Okay? I can look you square eyeball to eyeball for the World Wide Web to say, and I can say that. But can I tell you this? There are well-meaning believers right now who Satan also uses to attack you. 
and to attack me. The problem is they're too blinded by their own pride, by their own arrogance, and by their own self-righteousness to realize that they are just as stinking guilty. But can I tell you something that we don't get to that same level? Hear me. Hear me say this. I'm preaching to myself. The same truth that applies to us in this passage applies to them. It applies to them as well. It means that they may attack us and say our past defines us. But can I tell you that if they confess their sins, He's faithful and just to forgive them as well. Because God is no respecter of persons. He removes their sin as far as the east is from the west, just like He did ours. And so we got to be careful that when those who would be self-righteous and pious attack us and are allowed by the enemy, allow the enemy to use them, we got to make sure that we don't flip the script and allow the enemy to use us in our reaction to them. We got to react to them with the same grace that we expect or we would love to receive from them. And can I tell y'all, that's stinking hard. But it's a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. A lot of times, and this is free, this isn't part of the sermon. A lot of times, we would do well to do what David did. And instead of crying out on social media, instead of crying out to unsympathetic pastors who preach at us for not coming to church last Sunday. (laughs) We would do well to do what David did and cry out to God like he did in the Psalms. And take our pain to Him. Because He is big enough to handle our pain. He's big enough to handle our anger. Because at the end of the day, when we're crying out to God and we're talking to God and God's talking back to us through His Word, what we're going to remember, what we're going to do is the same thing David did, and we're going to be reminded of who the character of God is. And we can't help but focus on His goodness and His grace and His mercy and the fact that although it may suck right now, He's still God in the good and in the bad. What's another lie? Someone else will complete you. Now, I have to tell you, I spent a lot of years as a youth pastor, and this really comes from those experiences, but I also see it with um, adults as well, which all adults are are sexually mature teenagers. I've come to realize that. Some are just sexually mature toddlers. They don't get their way. They throw a fit. They hit the terrible twos again about 25 Somebody snorted. That's my goal in life is to preach and make people snort. It's really not my goal, but I can't let it go unnoticed. It was over there, though. Someone else will complete you. In other words, I I have to be, I, I, I need this relationship. I can't make it on my own. I have to have a relationship or a significant other. I'm just, I'm not gonna make it. I don't know how to make it. Can I tell you, that's immature, unhealthy, and that's a lot of reason that there are relationships failing. Because people jump in relationships when they're not healthy and whole as an individual. Y'all know anybody like that? Anybody ever been guilty? Don't don't answer that. I'm going to ask anybody ever been guilty of that. There's going to be some husband raise his hand. His wife's going to look at him. That unsympathetic pastor is going to have some marriage counseling to do. He's going to be like, Grady started it. Call him. I'm changing my number. Someone else, well, let's look at what Scripture says. In, in this passage, we kind of set the stage before I read the verse. Jesus has gone to Samaria. Jews didn't really go to Samaria. He sees this woman at the well about the middle of the day. She'd been married five times, and now she's living with a dude. And 
she's there at noon instead of early in the morning when the water was cool, most likely because she didn't want to endure, endure the scrutiny and, and the looks and the being talked about by the other wives who came to the well early in the morning. Y'all ever y'all know people that talk about other people, right? So now she's having this conversation with Jesus, and, and Jesus says to her, Go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Uh, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Get this. Jesus calls her out in this passage. She's been looking for someone to fulfill her. She meets Jesus. They have a conversation. Look at what she says at the end, though, in a few verses down. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? In other words, she met Jesus, and now she was complete. She wasn't complete because she was with five different husbands and now living with a dude. She was complete because she met the one person who could complete her. And it wasn't another person. It was Jesus. But Satan will tell us that we can put people in that place that, God does, that, that only God really fits. And can I tell you, that's really idolatry. Idolatry. Because we've put someone in the place that God should have. And then we wonder why it falls apart. Well, it falls apart because we went about it the wrong way to begin with. Not that anybody here would ever go about a relationship the wrong way. We'll just skip that part. What else? What's another lie? How about this one? You need that substance, thrill, or experience. Oh, snap. Now you're meddling. Now you're meddling. Listen, before we get... When I, when I, I'll admit, when I first wrote that, I was thinking to myself... Um, I, I was thinking about some people I know and some stuff that they'd gone through and how they're, they, they just keep saying, but I, gotta, I, I, just, I can't make it without... Fill in the blank. I was going to say with the variable X, but if I said X, some of y'all might think that I was talking about X. So, we won't use that because some of y'all start, I don't want to cause any problems. Um, but you need that, and this person was telling me that, and, and I got to thinking, man, what is it? Why do we think we need that? Like, we can't make it. And for some of us, that thrill, that experience, or that substance, it's to dull the pain so we can't feel anything. For some of us, we know that it's going to bring pain and we think that we deserve that pain. Right? We, and the reason we think we deserve that pain goes back to lie number one, that we're not enough. And so we think that there's something fundamentally flawed with us and that the way that God created us is fundamentally flawed and so we've got to try to add something to it. And then for those of us who want to dull the pain, there, there's that. But look at what Scripture says. Now, David, David was a guy who understood pain. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. He was on his rooftop. He saw a woman over the, you know, away, and she was bathing, and she was naked. She was good-looking. He said, hey, bring her to me. So she, he, they conceived a child together. Then she realized, he realized she was pregnant, and so he calls the husband home, and he has the husband murdered because he wouldn't go home and take care of business with his wife. And now everybody was going to know that David had been messing around, and the king, that can't happen. So he sends the husband off and has him murdered. And so David understands what it's like to go through some junk. Okay? I mean, I always got to be honest with you. I've done some stuff, but I never put together an elaborate scheme to murder somebody. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting close, come to think of it. It would never be anybody who runs their town. Anyway, 
Look at what Scripture says. In Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, don't taste and see that the substance, the thrill, or the experience is what you need. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Hear me say this. Too many of us take refuge in a needle, in a bottle, in a person, and we don't take refuge in the person who can fill our greatest need and the person of God. We look for another substance or an experience. I, I love the experience. I will never skydive because I have a problem jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. But I do love the free-falling sensation. I love to climb up on a rock, like a cliff over a lake, 50 or 60 feet, and jump. Because for that, 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 it just seems like forever, that fall. You know what I mean? It's an amazing rush. And, and while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, what I'm saying is, if that's what I have to have to keep my edge, or whatever you want to say, then I'm missing out on tasting that the Lord is good. That He is the one who can give me that rush. He's the one that can give me that experience. And so we, we've got to taste and see that the Lord is good and He's better. Have you ever noticed that every prescription, now don't, some of y'all going to think that I'm anti-medicine, I'm not. But have y'all ever noticed that medicines have side effects and they list the side effects? Have y'all ever looked at the side effects? There's sometimes doctors prescribe me things, I read the side effects and I'm thinking, I'll just keep the infection. Side effects, potentially explosive diarrhea. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. No. I don't think so, Skippy. I'll keep the infection. But can I tell you, there's no side effects when you taste and see that the Lord is good. The only side effect you have is you experience John 10.10 10, that He has come to give you life and in abundance. You're not dealing with the junk that you have. But yet Satan would have us to believe that we got to have that thrill or that experience or that substance. And God says, no, you just need me. You just need me. Look what else he says. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Not the bottle, not the needle, not the thrill, not the experience. Who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. What is the bottle and the needle and the pill and the thrill and the experience if it's not a what? False God. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. But Grady, it's so hard to trust in God because I know where I can get that bottle or I know where I can get that needle or I know where I can get that pill or I know where I can get that thrill. It's so hard to trust in God because I can't physically and tangibly trust Him or touch Him. Can I tell you just for a moment that if you'll just exhibit a little bit of faith today, it'll be easier to exhibit more tomorrow? If you'll exhibit a little bit more tomorrow, you can exhibit more the next day? You see, faith is like every other muscle in your body. The more you exercise it, the more that it grows, and the more you're able to exercise it and trust God. But you can't do it if you don't taste it. I have a rule in my home with my children, and that is this. You may not like the food that we eat, but you have to at least taste it. Because you might like it. You just never know until you what? Taste it. I know there's some of y'all who cannot wait for Thursday because y'all going to walk around when that macaroni pan hits the table. You're going to get the stretchy pants on. You're going to go, you're going to kill some macaroni. What's that macaroni ever done to you? Why are you going to do that? Because you've tasted macaroni and you know that grandmama can throw down on a mac and cheese. Am I right? Taste and see. What's another lie? Two more lies. How about this one? Oh, snap. 
Anybody ever dealt with this one? You were always the victim. Everything's somebody else's fault. Wait a minute. Am I the only one raising my hand? Okay, I am. Snap. This part may just be for me. Y'all just sit back and listen. <clears throat> Satan will tell us that we're always the victim because if we're always the victim, then it's somebody else's fault and it can't be our fault and we can't be responsible. And if we can't be responsible, then we can continue in our misery and we continue in our pit and we can continue getting everybody to feel sorry for us and we can continue blah, 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 blah. Are you with me? There's a passage in Scripture, there was a, a legend that ever so often an angel would touch this water and the first person who got in the water would be healed from whatever afflicted them. And there was a man who was an invalid and he'd been laying there and Jesus walks up to him and begins a conversation with him. And um, he says this, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I didn't put the verse up there, but it goes on and says this. The man says, well, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when the water, when, when the water moves. I can't help it. I'm just this way. There's no hope for me. This is just how I am. Jesus' next words were, now I get Jesus is Jesus. He's the God of the universe. The wind and the waves obey him. And the, the, the dead get up when he says get up. So, I mean, there's that. But Jesus doesn't ask him anything else. He said, do you want to be made well? He gives him his little excuse, says, sir, I can't help it. And Jesus says this, get up. Get up. Can I, can I, we don't know in the text if this man was an invalid because of something he had done or if he was born. We, we don't know what, why he was an invalid, but he'd been that way a long time. And Jesus just tells him to get up. Can I tell you this? The enemy will tell us that we were always the victim. And can I say this? That there are times that we are the victim. We're the victim of our own circumstances. We're the victim of our own actions. We're the victim of our own choices. We're the victim of our own... We experience the consequences of our own life. And as a result, Jesus tells us today, get up up and quit making excuses quit making flipping excuses get up say you don't understand my story this dude's crippled and Jesus told him to get up well you don't know if you've never struggled with addiction you don't know addiction's a disease and you don't know 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 can I tell you there's enough tools and resources in this place there's enough tools and resources and by the way there's the power of the living God who wants to set you free from your past and from your addiction. Get up! Get up! I just wish it was that easy. People have told me recently that I got to get over my junk. I, you know, I think you're going to be told to get over your junk all your life. Am I right? Get over your junk. And there's that moment where you're getting that, can I tell you, oh, ooh, this is free. Okay, when we get in that place right there where we're always the victim and we don't get over our junk and we're dealing with our junk and we, we want to be the victim, can I tell you, we get down and mope and we miss out on the purpose that God has for us. We miss out on what God has for us in the here and in the now. And can I tell you, I'd much rather walk in the here and the now with God than in the mire and the clay of my past and of my circumstances and be all down and beat up because you know what, I, that, that sucks. That sucks. But man, when you're walking and living the purpose that God has for you, the problem with too many Christ followers is there's too many of us who walk around like Eeyore. 
Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Shut up and get up. The God of the universe hasn't taken you out yet. You're still on this planet. You still have a purpose. You can still do something of value. You still have value. Live the life He's given you to live and don't miss out on anything else. But you'll never do that if you're always the victim. See, if you're always the victim, you never deal with your own self, you never deal with your own self, you can't get healthy. And Satan still wins. Because he's still killing and still destroying your life. And you're not living in the abundance that God has for you. Instead, you're living in the misery that Satan would bring about for you. The last lie that I want to talk about, and we're going to camp here for a few minutes, because I think this is the biggest problem. When I, from a youth pastor to a pastor, I think this is the biggest problem we face as Christ followers. He lies to us about who we are. He lies to us about who we are. It goes back to our past. It goes back to all those other things. But, but here's what happens. Satan tells us we're not good enough. He lies about who we are. Satan tells us that, that, that we're just this. I hate the word just. I'm just a truck driver. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a... I hate the word just. You know why I hate the word just? Because it minimizes whatever position in life you find yourself Can I tell you that if you're on this planet, I don't care if you're a truck driver, I don't care if you're a housewife, I don't care if you're a CEO, I don't care if you're a day laborer, you're not just anything. You're a person who was created by the living God of the universe, who was created in the image of the God of the universe, a person for whom the Son of God offered His life on a cross some 2,000 years ago so that you might experience freedom from your sin. You're a person who God has placed value upon. You are someone with value. You're not just anything. You're not just anything. Man, you're a person with infinite worth and infinite value. Yet, those of us who are Christ followers, Satan would like to attack us and lie to us about who we are. When I was a youth pastor, I saw this a lot. I'd see students, and, and um, not to be funny, but, but like to be real, I'd see students who would, who would do those purity pledges, and maybe like 8th or ninth grade, and then maybe like their 10th or 11th grade year, they would break that pledge. And like, man, they had a crisis of identity. They had a crisis of identity because they, what, what had happened in those purity pledges, we put so much emphasis on whether someone is pure or not that their value becomes whether or not they've had sex. And when they have sex because that boy or that girl told them they'd be there forever... And then they're not. That person's crushed. Their identity is crushed because now everything they knew was about purity. And now that they're no longer pure, what happens? They don't have any value. And Satan lies to them about their worth. I see it with adults. Adults who place their entire, entire identity in their career. And then 2008 happens. The housing market crashes. And now all of a sudden, they're no longer in the position they were in financially or career-wise. And they don't know what to do. 
And as a result, Satan lies to them because they've bought into the lie that their identity was wrapped up in their career. I see husbands and wives where the wife perhaps was a a housewife and something happens and they divorce and she literally cannot make it because her identity was wrapped up in being a housewife. Where a husband's wife leaves him and he can't make it because his identity was wrapped up in having the perfect family, being the perfect dad. And we see people commit suicide. We see people go from one bad relationship to another, to another, to another, leaving a trail of destruction in their path. Why? Because they bought into the lie not understanding who they are as a Christ follower. Well, today I want to spend some time and let's address that. Look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. and Man, he just, he just throws it out there and he says this. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are... God's children. Stop right there. The Spirit, if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit testifies within the Spirit within you that we are God's children. Right there, first and foremost, my last name is McDonald. You may know some good McDonald's, you may know some bad McDonald's, that's fine. That's my last name though. That's who I am. But can I tell you this? As a Christ follower, my name has been changed to I'm a child of the living God. That alone gives me infinite worth and value because I belong to the God of the universe. I belong to the guy who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that they're standing on. I belong to the guy who spoke the world into existence. I belong to the guy who before there was the idea of a big bang where a bunch of gases got together where no one can tell me the origin of the gases got together and exploded because Taco Bell didn't exist then. I belong to the guy who spoke the world into existence. I belong to the guy who took man and formed him from the dust of the earth. I belong to the guy who leaned down and breathed the breath of life into him. I belong to the guy, I'm a child of the guy who sent his son to pay my penalty, the one that I deserved, that I should have died as a result of my sin, but yet he chose to send his son and give me life instead. I belong to him. I'm his son. As a Christ follower, you're his son. You're his daughter. You belong to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And there's hope in that. There's value in that. The the devil lies to us because he tells us we're we're nothing. We're no one. We have no hope and we have no value. And God says, you're a child of mine. The Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. And he goes on. He goes on, and he says that if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs. Whoa, son, come on now. Co-heirs with Christ. Zuckerberg has billions. But at the end of the day, his billions going to burn. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And Jesus is going to reign. I want y'all to think about that for a minute. You're a co-heir. As a follower of Christ, you're a co-heir with Jesus. And what does the Bible say? How does it all end with Jesus? It all ends with Jesus riding back on a white horse and coming back in power and in fury to set up his kingdom, to rule and to reign. And guess what? You're a Christ follower. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Tell me you don't have value now. Tell me you don't have an identity now. Tell me there's no hope for you now. The Bible says that you're going to reign with Jesus as a, you get to inherit what Jesus inherits? You get to inherit the kingdom? You're a Christ follower. 
You're a child and a co-heir with Jesus. My poor kids, if I were to kick over today, my poor kids would get a couple of cans of tuna fish. I think that's what's left in my truck. (laughs) And Bush's baked beans. And maybe some yogurt. But as a child of God, do y'all see what we get? We get to inherit what Jesus inherits. Let's go a little further. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus wants, to, Jesus wants to set the record straight about who we are. Satan wants to lie about who we are. Paul speaks for Jesus when he says that what, we're, what we experience today is not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Satan sucks because he lies. How do we overcome those lies? We stay connected to the truth. Anybody ever, anybody ever struggled with your identity? Anybody ever had to bought into the lie that, you're, you don't, that Satan's lied to you about who you are? I tell my daughters, I tell all three of my daughters, I tell them they're beautiful, I tell them I love them, I tell them they have value all the time. You know why I tell my daughters that? Because there'll probably be some little boy who tells them something else. And then I'll take Gary's advice about murdering somebody yet. <laughs> I'm totally joking about that. Kinda. But what I am serious about is I want my daughters to never question who they are. Just like that fatherly love that I have for my children to never question who they are. God the Father wants His children to never question who we are. When Satan lies to us, we stay connected to the truth of God's Word. Satan can suck all day long. Satan can suck all day long. But God is good for all eternity. And if we stay connected to His truth, we can overcome the lies of the enemy.